Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to be in your house with you, with one another. So we take time this morning to talk with you. Help us, Lord, equally to take time to listen, to hear from you. Perhaps we hear from you directly, or maybe it's through a song, or even through a time of prayer, or perhaps through your word. Whatever it may look like today, God, I pray that each one of us would feel, would hear, would recognize your presence. I thank you, Lord, for moving just a few moments ago, reminding me, Lord, that we are in a very special place today. Not because of what we've made it, not because of what we call it, not because we've scheduled something here today, Lord, because you're here. No matter what it is I'm dealing with or what awaits me this week or what it may be that I'm carrying, when, when I recognize that I'm with you, all of a sudden, everything else just tends to fall in line the way that it should. Helps me take the proper perspective on life, on challenges, on uncertainties, on disappointments. It helps my fears, Lord, to melt away when I stand with you. So God, we thank you for being here obviously making yourself known. We thank you, Lord, for the chance to come and to worship you, to be reminded of who you are, of what it is you've done, and what it is you're still doing in our lives today. Help us, Lord, as we think back of the times you've been faithful, to lean into those moments, and to trust that you're going to continue to be faithful in our tomorrows. For those, Father, carrying physical needs or, or not yet answered prayers, God, help us to know that you, you've been there in the past and, Lord, you're going to continue to walk with us. For those, Lord, dealing with rec relationships that need reconciliation, I pray, Father, that they would take the first steps. Perhaps I'm sorry is all it takes to get things started. Maybe there's some physical or, or, or tangible needs here today of, of those who don't know where provision's going to come from or, or how, Lord, you're going to help bills get paid for. Or they're just hoping their car makes it one more month or one more week. Whatever our needs might be, whatever our concerns are, Lord, help us to know that you already know what's going on. You already know what the answers are. These times of prayer aren't for us to, to give you our lists rather there are times for you to remind us that every step we take you take with us these times of prayer for us to hear from you as your spirit moves among us Lord help us not to be afraid of conviction may we not back away from honest humble vulnerable conversations May we recognize, God, when you give us an instruction, when you ask us to do something, no matter how difficult it might be. Because in the asking, Lord, you're giving us an opportunity to perhaps, Father, experience the answer that we sometimes so desperately pray for. As a diverse congregation, Lord, we bring so many needs. But how comforting it is to know that we serve a God who's big enough for each and every one. Lord, continue to be with us this morning as we open your word, as we dig a little bit, as we share some stories in scripture, Lord, that we've heard so many times before. Show us something new. Take us deeper. Continue to shape and change and help us to grow. 
And ultimately, Lord, prepare us to be sent out, to be your hands and feet, to be, to be willing to share this story, Lord, that you've given each one of us. Lord, through the power of your blood and, and the word of our testimony, Father, others might come to know who you are. We want to be a church that grows your kingdom. Most often, that doesn't happen inside these walls, Lord, but rather outside, Monday through Saturday, through our daily lives. May we be faithful. I thank you for the time that we have today to be with you, to be challenged, to be stretched, to grow. Lord, have your way with us. Be glorified in us, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Um, I had notes for this written out on a piece of paper, and I can't find them anywhere. So if you find a piece of paper with just like the worst handwriting in the world, uh, that's mine. So, uh, but I don't have it right now. And so uh, if I go off the rails, Pastor Brian, you just come and, uh, and, and push me off the stage. So that'll be, that's fine. That's fine. All right. Hey, it's been, uh, it's been a little while since I've been up here um, for this connection moment uh, in relating what, what, what's going on with our teenagers. Uh, and so um, our teenager, we just, we just finished an exciting uh, summer and we've kicked off uh, our, our new school year in youth group when we had uh, some awesome incoming seventh graders. And I'm really excited uh, about what God's got in store for us uh, for this coming school year. But I wanted to, uh, for this morning, I wanted to kind of uh, fill you in on a little something that we did over the summer. And you may have seen pictures or you may have heard stories, uh, but this summer we went on a trip that was called Ropes and Rapids. All right, so we went to, um, we went to West Virginia um, and we, we just kind of experienced a little bit of West Virginia life, starting off with a trip to Hillbilly Hot Dogs. Anybody ever been to Hillbilly Hot Dogs? All right, yeah, it's, it's Hillbilly Hot Dogs, exactly what it sounds like. Uh, and then we, we went and we, uh, we went whitewater rafting and we did some ropes course and really tried to do some, some focus on teamwork, uh, team building, relationship building within our group. And, and first of all, let, let me just uh, take this minute to just thank you as a congregation for your support of our youth group that makes things like this possible. So just financially contributing th to the church uh, in, our, in our youth budget, and that is significant, or, or helping out individual students, that's significant, and we are greatly appreciative of that. And I'm also going to use this opportunity just briefly to give a quick plug that you're going to be hearing. We've got NYC coming next year. And if you know anything about NYC, you know that it is a game changer in the lives of our teenagers. And so uh, we have six, six teens who are going to NYC next year uh, in, pa uh, not Panama, uh, Tampa, there we go, the other part of, the other beach of Florida, Tampa. Uh, and it's going to be a great time. And so you're going to be hearing about some opportunities to help uh, send our teens to that life-changing event. But I just want to give you a little teaser right there um, in this part of the service. But uh, Ropes and Rapids, as we, uh, as we went, uh, we, one of the big things that we did was we went white rotter rafting. And you've got, we've got pictures scrolling through here. How many of you already saw the picture of Cheryl with her legs up in the air on the Facebook post? Yeah. Um, but we, we, we took an adventure on, uh, on the water. And we, we went from Stone Cliff uh, to a place called Fayette Station. It's about a 14-mile uh, trip on the river, uh, starting in the upper New River, and then it goes to the lower New River, and we end at Fayette Station. It's about a 14-mile trip, uh, about six or so, six or seven hours on the river. And as we were going there, man, how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting, first of all? Okay. All right. Whitewater, like, it's, it's an incredible time. It's equal parts uh, exhilarating, fun, a blast, and equal parts terrifying 
and intimidating, right? Like just hearing the names of the rafts as the guide is telling you what's coming up, you're like, I'm going to meet Jesus today because this is terrifying. The water is a powerful thing, right? Uh, but, but we're going, and as I'm, as I'm in there, and, and also like the spiritual parallels that you can get from the, ra- from, the, from the river in your time on the water are just, they're immense. And so we got to, we got to spend some time kind of debriefing and, uh, and talking about some of those uh, experiences and relating that to our walk with Jesus. And so I want to just maybe share just briefly this morning about one of those. And, and as, we were, as we were on the river, uh, again, we, we started in Stone Cliff, and our, our destination was Fayette Station. And I was, uh, as, I, as we were on the river, and we're kind of, you know, doing our thing, I started thinking about that destination, and it reminded me of a book that I, that I read a few years ago um, that was kind of instrumental in my, in my faith journey. And, uh, and, and as I was thinking about Fayette Station, that was our destination, and as we're there, and maybe, I don't know, I can't remember if we'd just come off a, uh, a big rapid or what, but I thought, there's got to be an easier way to get to Fayette Station, right? Like, we could drive, and I know that West Virginia roads are a little treacherous at times, but surely we could get to Fayette, the destination would be easier to get in by, through other methods than risking our lives on the water, right? We could get to the destination, but how many know that, that the destination on our whitewater rafting trip, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The point was the adventure, the journey to that destination. I wonder maybe other times in our, in our, in our relationship with Jesus that, um, that maybe we get so caught up on our destination. And please don't mishear me. I wanted to get to Fayette Station. Because if I didn't get to Fayette Station, that means something really bad happened, right? I wanted to get to my destination. Um, Sometimes I wonder if maybe our destination, uh, focusing so much on our destination, gets in the way of our journey right here and right now. The journey was floating down the river, risking our lives at times to get to that destination. As we were going, we're going, and, and as we're floating down the river, there are times on this journey, on this adventure, again, with, with that in mind, that we could get to the destination uh, in, in much more safe manners, and that would be cool. But as we're going, there are times of peace and calm, right? There are times when you're just floating on the raft, and the scenery is just beautiful. There's mountains in the, in the, in the cliff walls and the trees and some wildlife, and it's just a peaceful, calm relaxing ride and everything's great but then there are times when you are paddling like crazy until your arms are about ready to fall off because you've got to line this next rapid up perfectly and so you're 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 paddling to try to get there then there are times when you are fighting like the devil in order to stay in the boat right like your your feet are tucked and you're holding on for dear life just because you need to stay in the boat and then let's be honest there are times when we are not in the boat anymore right some of us flipped our boats flipped some of us just went off of the edge but we were not in the boat whatsoever and then there comes the times where you're fighting like crazy to get back onto the boat And for a big guy like me, that's even harder, right? We're fighting like crazy. And all of this is part of the adventure. And as we were going, about halfway through the trip, I noticed uh, alongside off of the shore on a rock, there's a guy who's just sitting there. He's got a little tent pitched on these rocks on the side of the hill, and he's just watching us. He's just sitting there, and he's watching. And I think he's having a great time. He's having the time of his life just watching us 
from the comfort of his rock in his tent. And then I was thinking, he's missed it. He's not in the river. We've got all of these times where we are, like, uh, my life is hanging in, in the balance here. I could be dying. I'm trying to figure out how to stay on the boat. When I fall off the boat, I'm trying to get back onto the boat, and I'm wondering, am I doing this right? What is wrong? Something is not right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But then I had this thought as I saw this guy on the side, while well, I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on on this journey, on this adventure, and I'm like, I'm in the river. I'm in the water. He's not. And so I wonder in your, uh, maybe in your spiritual life, are there things where you're just sitting up on the rocks? I believe that God is inviting us to jump in the river. It's going to be peaceful at times. It's going to be absolutely terrifying at times. There's going to be times where you're wondering, am I even doing this right? What is happening but God's inviting us into the river. So maybe you're just like, you're here on Sunday mornings and you're checking it out and you're watching. Man, jump in. You don't have to, figure, you don't have, to have it all figured out. I still don't know how to whitewater raft even after doing it. I don't know. But I was in the river. Jump in the river. Maybe there's things where you're like, oh, yeah, I've been in the river, but like there's a new river. Like God's maybe calling me to the gully river where things are really crazy. Right? There's something else that's there for you. And you're just like, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know about that could I invite you this morning? Just, just jump in. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to know all the rapids. You don't, have to, you don't have to know how to stay on the boat. Just jump in. Give it a whirl. I think God is inviting us to jump in to the river. Thanks. That's good stuff. That'll preach. Thank you, Josh. Well, not all of West Virginia is like that, if you're wondering. So you don't have to be afraid. Um, so, but it is wild and wonderful in many places. Your perspective and what you're used to has a lot to do with your takeaway. There's, there's a path behind my house I walk on. There's a sign on the path at a certain place that says, Caution Hill Ahead. <laughs> I get a big laugh out of that. It's about a 10-foot incline, and then it levels out again. I'm still looking around for the hill, but anyway, it's beside the point. Uh, so this is where you're from and what you take away. We're glad you're here today. Those that are watching online, thank you for joining us. And, and we do have a first-time guest. And we have several first-timers here today. We're glad that you're here. One special first-time guest here today. And, and Sarah, can I invite you to stand? Now, Millie's been coming for several months now. You guys know that, right? But this is the first time that she gets to see us and that we get to see her. Now, she's sleeping, so we're not going to clap. But we can just all do the collective, aww. Isn't she beautiful? And we are so excited for what God has given to to Sarah and to Thad and their family, and we, we know their story and what a blessing uh, Millie is, and we're just going to continue to pray for her, and we have an opportunity to share in her life in these very early days, but we're glad that she's spending some of the earliest days of her life in God's house, in, in church, together with us. So, so thank you for sharing her with us. We're very excited for you, and I look forward to uh, seeing what God's going to do in and through her in the days ahead. But um, if she says an amen here and there, we're just going to praise the Lord along with her. Uh, we're just glad that she's with us this morning and excited um, that God's growing our church, not just spiritually, but also naturally. We're kind of, we, we love that kind of growth as well. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here too. And God's doing some really neat things in our early days together. I've only been here a little over eight weeks, and I'm excited about what, what we've been sharing in, what we've been experiencing together, conversations we've had. And we're, we're learning a lot about one another. And one of my takeaways I just continue to learn is that we are all just ordinary people. 
really nothing significantly special about any of us. I'm not talking bad about you, don't get me wrong. We're just ordinary people. We're just going through life, and we're just figuring out as we go, and we're sharing experiences. We're sharing the good moments and the bad moments, the challenging moments, the victorious moments, and in sharing together, we get to celebrate together. We laugh together. We cry together, and we just kind of go through the mundane together because we have those seasons, as Pastor Josh said. Some are calm and peaceful. Some are a little bit crazy. Some are more beautiful than others. Sometimes we're underwater, but we're going through it together. We're not alone. And through this uh, series that we're in right now, this Ordinary People series, we're just trying to reveal in Scripture ordinary moments, ordinary people going through their lives when, when God steps in and does something extraordinary. Just being available, just being willing, positioning ourselves, putting ourselves in the right place to be used by Him when those uh, divine uh, ordained moments in our lives come to fruition trying to come up with just an ordinary introduction. Uh, would you get excited about coming to church if you got a message that was just going to be an ordinary sermon from just an ordinary pastor? We don't always think like that. We, we want to come and we want to learn something. We want to hear something. We want, to, want it to be memorable. And I'm thankful that often it is memorable, but it's not because of me. It, it's not because, because of, of Amy. It's not because of Pastor Mara with our children. It, it's because of what God is doing in and through us. Keep in mind, know this. I tell you this not to be not in false humility, but in, in true actuality. I'm just a simple kid from West Virginia who grew up with a stutter, who, who grew up on a gravel road, Viola Road. I got to go back there yesterday, spend some time with my parents, and, and ride around in a tractor. Now, I, when we ride a tractor here, if you ride a tractor, you feel kind of safe. When you ride a tractor in West Virginia, it's, it's like this. And, and I, I'm not so sure. I'm just like, is this thing going to tip over on me? You do cow tipping here in Ohio. We do tractor tipping in West Virginia. It's uh, <laughs> ordinary moments. Life's filled with those beautiful moments and just sit on the back porch and just watch my kids ride the four-wheeler and just enjoy being with their cousins. Those are special times. I'm just an ordinary person that God spoke to at one point who had to make a choice. And I've shared with you before, at first I made the wrong choice. I told God no. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be who you're calling me to be. It took me a while to get it figured out to where I, I'm going to be miserable if I don't finally answer and be what God wants me to be and do what he wants me to do and go where he wants me to go. And I was tired of being miserable. So you get to the point where I can't say that I said yes because I was real excited about it. I said yes because I was tired of being miserable. Lord, if you'll fix this part, I'll do what you want me to do. Each of us have those ordinary moments in our lives where we feel inadequate. We feel like we don't measure up or that we can't be who it is maybe he's calling us or sending us to be. But let me tell you, today you are. Each one of you are gifted and, and you're, you're, you're positioned and he's given you opportunities and he's, he's, he's given you what you need to be and to do what he's calling you to be and to become. You have it within you. If you haven't experienced it yet, it's because maybe what we're going to talk about today is, is there's something in the way. We're ordinary. And I praise God for that. Because if we were extraordinary, who would get the credit? Who would get the glory? It's all meant for him. We began talking about Noah, who we learned. <laughs> and we often forget or, or miss this part of the story. But the story begins with Noah walked with God. He prepared himself. He positioned himself. He did what? He did, his, he did the pre-work, the advanced work, to be able to receive this incredible calling to build an ark that took over 100 years to build. And he walked with God. He was obedient even when it didn't make any sense. We talked last week about Joseph, 
who was favored. He was a favorite son of his father, and it, it caused some divisions within his family and his brothers, and his brothers sold him into slavery, and he would be arrested, and, but he would, God would raise him up out of that because of Joseph's uh, uh, just consistency and obedience and, and put him in a position of power and authority. And Joseph had this opportunity to get revenge upon his brothers, but Joseph offered grace instead and forgiveness. Ordinary people not only walk with God, but they also forgive. They lead with grace. What we find in Scripture, uh, the stories that we're going to use over the next several weeks of ordinary people, they're very familiar stories because they're powerful. They resonate with us. We don't always recognize why. And today we're going to talk about an ordinary person. So ordinary, in fact, that in Scripture he's unnamed. We don't even know his name. Yet he's part of the mo- one of the most familiar accounts in all of Scripture. It, it's an account included in all four Gospels. In fact, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. So it's such a big deal that each writer of the Gospels included it in their account of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching. And I touched on this passage uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about compassion and how Jesus, when he was compassionate, then followed that up with action. And I want to use this passage several more times as we share life together because there's so many layers to this story that it's worth telling. And each time we tell it, there's a different takeaway. There's a different learning. There's something else that's communicated to us. So this is a moment, though, this is a story that connects and bridges several themes of Jesus' teaching. It teaches us about gratitude, about grace. It talks about fulfillment and compassion, about pursuit. As we dig into his word, we're going to learn a lot, not just today from this passage, but but in in the days to come. Because in each gospel, we see and we take away a different learning. So today I'm going to be sharing out of Matthew chapter 14. And just a little bit of background, if you're, as you're turning to Matthew 14 in your Bible or on your device, however it is you're reading God's Word, I hope you have some way in which to look it up and you follow along with me. But in Matthew chapter 14, we learn early on that John the Baptist is beheaded. That's an interesting way to begin a sermon, isn't it? With John the Baptist being executed. And he spoke out against the leaders at the time, against Herod and the lifestyle that he was living. And Herod's wife didn't like that, so John the Baptist gets executed for it. And, of course, we know that this is Jesus' cousin. Jesus gets word that John the Baptist has been executed. And, of course, he responds the same way that each of us would respond. He begins to grieve. Saddens him. It's not a surprise to him, but it still saddens him. So we see early on that this is in the background. So Jesus and his disciples, Scripture tells us in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He and his disciples get in a boat. They want to go somewhere where they can be alone so that they can grieve. They retreat, if you will, to a solitary place. Keep that solitary place idea in mind. It's important to our story this morning. Crowds here that Jesus left. Now, by this time, Jesus has been healing people, and he's, he's kind of, uh, if you will, garnering quite a following. People are coming to see him. They're, they're curious, but yet they're also um, needing something to hope in, and they've, they've been chasing after Jesus. He's been spending time in the area healing and teaching and helping, and in this moment, in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, things are starting to get a little bit heated for Jesus. We, we know that John's now been executed, and Jesus is starting to kind of ruffle the feathers of the religious establishment. And Jesus knows that things aren't really probably in in a good place, but it's not yet time for for God's will to be fulfilled. So Jesus wants to kind of get out of town, so to speak, to where things are a little bit cooler. So they head north into Galilee. And as they head north into Galilee, they get to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds are there kind of gathering around them. 
And he says, no, we, we, I need to get away from the crowd. So they get in a boat and they start to sail across the Sea of Galilee, which is you know, just kind of a large lake, if you will, fed by the Jordan River. So they start sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And here come the crowds. Where did Jesus go? And they're kind of looking for Jesus. They kind of see the boat in the distance. And the crowd starts to follow Jesus around the northern edge of the lake. And they're kind of chasing him down, if you will. And, and they know that he's, he's left Tiberias and he's on his way to the other side. It's not very big, so there's only a few, few places he could land. And the crowd kind of is kind of chasing Jesus down, if you will. At the same time, we have crowds from the east on their way to Jerusalem, making a pilgrimage for the Passover. So you have people heading north around the, around the Sea of Galilee, people coming uh, southwest, heading towards Judea, toward Jerusalem. And, and these crowds are coming together, and as this large mass of people starts to accumulate, the boat that Jesus is in lands at a lonely place, Scripture tells us middle of nowhere here he is and he sees this crowd of people there's nothing around there there's no strip malls there's no hotels there there's no convenience stores there's nothing there except people we read in scripture that he has compassion on them now we might think that the crowd chasing jesus is a pretty exciting thing Wow, look what's going on. Look at this following that, that this, this teacher has. But, but let's keep in mind, this is not a noble pursuit. So this is a selfish crowd who, who's wanting their needs to be met, that they're hungry, both literally and figuratively. They're after something. But it's not the same thing that Jesus has for them quite yet. And I wonder if we would be humble enough this morning to ask if perhaps we may be doing the same thing in our pursuit of Jesus today. In this lonely place, Jesus sees the crowd, and Scripture tells us he spends the day healing them. Now, healing is a pretty big deal. because We've all heard about the scams on, on, the, on, on the Internet or over the phone or, or, or the different uh, people that take advantage of catastrophes to kind of steal money for you know, false, um, false, false aid or false assistance. Uh, but in this day, we need to understand there's not any real doctors yet. And we know that Luke was a doctor, but there, there's no real healing of disease at, at this point yet. They don't understand disease quite yet. So when someone was sick or when they were hurt or when they had an ailment or a condition, they were desperate for help. And there were people who would take advantage of that. There were scammers, if you will, who would offer uh, divine healings. And people would pay a lot of money to, to be healed by someone who claimed that they could do it. So a lot of times we know this didn't happen. So when they heard about Jesus, who really was healing people, the crowds came from everywhere for a chance to be touched by him. This is part of the draw. This is part of the attraction. This is why so many people were, were, were chasing after Jesus. Because he was real. He was a man who actually did heal. And read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. It, it, it's, he's been doing this all day. It's late afternoon. Evening is approaching. The disciples came up to him. They've been kind of watching from a distance, looking around. But Jesus, there's a lot of people here. Getting kind of late. There's really nowhere here to eat. You might want to send them on their way. It's going to be dark soon. You don't want them traveling when it's unsafe. Although they've been traveling for a whole day with, without any provisions. And the disciples, they don't see an opportunity. They see a problem. So they go to Jesus. He says, you know, we really can't provide what it is they need. So that you need to send them to the villages so that they can buy themselves some food. Remember, it's a lonely place. 
You ever left church and you head to the restaurants only to learn that every other church is let out at the same time and there's just not enough seats at the restaurants? What do you end up? You end up going to the same place and you just sit. There's not enough capacity. Disciples see the crowd. They say, there's just not enough capacity here. What are we going to do? And he goes, Jesus, you have to send these crowds away. And they're just stating a fact. They, they're just stating a reality. They, they don't have what it's going to take to take care of this large number of people. Scripture tells us there's 5,000 men in the crowd. Now, Matthew specifically, this is significant because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, so he's counting only the, the number that would be significant to a Jewish audience, which is the number of men. That doesn't mean that women and children don't count. That's just that they didn't count them specifically in this moment. So if you kind of do the math, you know, 2.5 kids for one, I don't know how many kids averaged back then, who knows. But we're looking at a crowd in, in excess of fifteen to 20,000, probably more, in this lonely place. It's a lot of people. That's like, well, it's like a Mountaineer football game, not an Ohio State football game. But that's a large crowd. <laughs> I'm learning. It's all, yeah, bear with me. So. And Jesus looks at his disciples. It says in verse 16, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> you just see the disciples staring at each other. <laughs> he meant you, not me. No, no. You guys give them something to eat. And if you read through the other gospel accounts, you can read in Mark chapter 6 or Luke chapter 9 or John chapter 6 and see the same account, the same story. We'll share a little bit from John here in just a moment. They start to kind of have a different response. And they've done a little bit of homework. And here Jesus is given an opportunity where they only saw a problem. The you do it puts them in a position where they have to first acknowledge that they can't. There's nothing they can do to fix this problem. In, in John chapter 6, we, we read that one of the disciples comes up to Jesus, and, and he refreshes him. I don't want to misspeak, I'm sorry. But, but Philip comes up to Jesus and says, well, 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 you don't understand, Jesus. It would take 200 denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage. It's about eight months of wages to buy enough bread, Philip says, for everybody to have one bite. Not even enough to really matter. So, you know, Jesus uses hyperbole, uses exaggeration. And so I think here's Philip kind of being a little bit sarcastic. We speak sarcasm in my house. I don't know about you, but it's one of our, our other languages that we talk about. And my daughter, who's eight, she's really picking up on it. And she knows really the dad, when dad's being sarcastic and when he's not. And it's kind of fun to have this back and forth with one another. We, we do it in jest. And here's Philip kind of like, well, Jesus, you know, you like to exaggerate. And you know, last week, Peter says, well, I'm going to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Bill says, well, gee, Jesus, it's going to take eight months to just buy enough food for everybody to have a bite. Whoop-de-doo, big deal. And Jesus kind of, kind of follows right along, and he kind of is enjoying this back and forth with his disciples. And he says, well, what do you got? What do you have available? And here's where we get a little bit of background of what's been going on in the background, if you will. To the crowds follow Jesus in such haste, in such desperation, that they really haven't come prepared. Now, I don't know, we hope to have a picnic today. We go to a picnic, you, you kind of take the supplies you need for a picnic. They didn't take anything. They're so desperate, they're chasing after Jesus. And in what they come back with, and we find out in John chapter 6, verse 9, here's a boy, Scripture says, here's a lad. A boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But here's Philip again. But how far will they go among so many? We have this meal here, Jesus, but that's really nothing. 
The New Living Translation says, what good is that with such a large crowd? What good is this little lunch? I think sometimes we kind of approach Jesus with the same thing when he calls us, when he speaks to us, he wants us to do something. We say, all I have, Jesus, is this. What good is this? We have this lad who, who for whatever reason, we, we don't know his name. We don't know if he's by himself. We don't know if he's with his family. If he's with his family, I don't think his family will be letting him kind of flaunt around this little meal that he has. And all he's got is this number one meal from Long John Silver's with, with two fish sticks and five hush puppies. That's all he's got. Now, you've got to be thinking, who's been eyeing this kid down all day? About 2 o'clock, you start to get hungry, and you're looking around, and there's nothing. You get to, oh, that boy's got something to eat. How could I get that from him? I don't know how he held on to his food this long, but he does. And here in this moment, the disciples find him. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Church, what is it that we're holding on to that we need to let go of, that we need to give, that we need to surrender so that Jesus can use it? Are we willing to give God what we have? Willing to let go of what it is that we're holding so tightly to or of what's holding tightly to us? An ordinary boy with an ordinary lunch before an extraordinary God. And we see in this moment multiplication that's only explainable through the touch of Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus says, bring them to me. So the gift first had to be given before it could be used. It had to be let go of before it could be multiplied. We see in verse 19, Jesus takes the five loaves, which, which aren't loaves like we think of them as loaves, but more like biscuits, more like a pack of saltines. This is two pickled fish, dried fish, been salted, and some saltine crackers. This isn't a big lunch box or, or a big basket with, with five big loaves of bread. This is enough for a little boy, just an ordinary meal. Jesus takes the loaves and the fish, and he looks to heaven, and he gave thanks and broke the loaves. That verse is identical in Mark chapter 6, verse 41. The word thanks that Jesus uses, it's a Greek word, eulageo, eulageo. It means Jesus lifted up the food and he consecrated it. He blessed it. He, he, he's causing it to prosper. He wants it to be multiplied. And, and, and this is where, this kind of where we get the idea of saying grace or offering a blessing for our meals. It comes right out of Scripture. But what we see in the usage of the words that Jesus uses, eulageo, and in other translations, there's this where you caught us stay, which we'll talk more about at Thanksgiving. We, we see this interchanging of ideas that really help us to see what Jesus is really trying to get at. He's trying to take a crowd who's only after the, this physical touch, who has, one has no spiritual interest whatsoever right now, to take them a place that they don't even realize yet that he's taking them. That's what his word does to us. We might enter into it with a preconceived idea, but when we dig a little bit, God shows us something different and takes us to a place that's deeper than we ever thought or could get to on our own. This posture that Jesus takes, looking up to heaven, he's giving the meal to God, and then God does something incredible. He turns it around and gives it back to the people. Verse 20, Jesus begins to break the crackers. 
breaks the fish. And for some reason, he just keeps breaking and keeps passing. There's, there's 20,000 people. Imagine how long this must take. And if you're the disciples, not everybody can see. They're not up close. They can't tell what's going on. But the disciples are right there. The same ones who doubted, the same ones who want to send a crowd away. This is for them. And they get to watch firsthand what Jesus is doing. He's instructed them to sit down in groups of 50. He's got them divided out. And he starts to pass out this food. And Scripture tells us in verse, four, verse 20, just a very simple uh, the simple verse of all that happens, it says they all ate and were satisfied. It wasn't just a bite. The word satisfied, it's kind of a, a, an, a farm husbandry word. Some of you may understand that, which means they fattened them up a little bit. There was enough given that they were getting them fat, getting them ready for, you know, for, well, yeah, yeah we won't go there. Getting them kind of fattened up, if you will. They didn't just have enough. It wasn't just, you know, two fish and five loaves with. They had enough. It was like Al Bundy loosening the belt, sitting on the couch, relaxing. Oh, I overdid it. Satisfied. You have no idea what I was just talking about. That's okay. You probably shouldn't. This means they were full. They were uncomfortably full. There was enough that they got full on. Not only that, the disciples then picked up how many baskets fulls? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Twelve. This is for them. So they would get the idea. You wanted to send them away? God had something else in mind. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. The leftovers are important for this reason. The little boy didn't offer his leftovers. He offered his whole lunch. Too often we want to give God what's left over. God, you can have this piece because I don't need it. It's just sitting in the refrigerator. It's going to go bad if I don't use it anyway. The little boy gave God his whole lunch first. What is it we're holding on to? Ordinary people let go of things when God asks us to. So that he can do something extraordinary with it. If you keep reading in John chapter 6, the crowd gets really excited about this. Because they, they live in this salt culture where every day coming up with their, their meals is, is hard work. Where they're desperately every day scrounging and working to survive. And here is this guy who just fed them with nothing more than a number one meal from a restaurant. And they're like, this is the guy who needs to be our king. We need, we need this guy. And they start to murmur amongst themselves. And Jesus starts to hear the whispers. And he knows what they're thinking. Why is he popular now? Why are they so excited? Because he met their need. They still don't understand who he is. They don't understand what he's all about. So the crowd in that moment, they got what they wanted, a full belly. Their selfish needs were met. They even wanted Jesus to be lifted up, but they were missing the point. So Jesus, again, withdraws. He climbs higher up on the mountain to kind of be by himself. And if you keep reading in this passage, what happens next is the disciples go back into the boat and head back across the lake, and Jesus walks them that night on the water. Fascinating, fascinating time in his life and ministry. Crowds kind of go on their way. Can you imagine the conversations they began to have with those they would pass along the road or when they got back home? But how many of them understood what really happened? How many of them got it? Probably not many. We see even evidence in the disciples' lives that they really didn't quite get it yet. We'll get to that moment in a few, in a few weeks of what happens after this moment, how uh, they still had so much to learn, as do we. But it began with an ordinary boy who was willing to let go. It ended with filled stomachs for the crowd and leftovers for the disciples. And throughout Scripture, we see 
ordinary people doing the same thing. For Moses, it was an ordinary shepherd's staff that God said throw down. It became a snake, and he held it up, and it parted the Red Sea. Nothing special about that staff. Ordinary. But in the hands of an extraordinary God, it becomes something very memorable. Elijah, Elijah had a mantle that, that Elijah asked to have. That he, When he rolled it up and snapped it against Jordan River, the waters parted and they walked across on dry land. Elijah says, I want that. And when he was lifted up into heaven, he dropped it so Elijah could pick it up and continue his work. Ordinary. Until God touched it. The widow of Zarephath was preparing to die. And the prophet asked her to just simply make him a meal. Make, make me a loaf of bread. I've been hungry. I've been hiding for a long time. She says, this is all I have left. Just trust me, if you do this, God will bless you. She, she gave what all she had left. She's preparing to die, and she made him a loaf. And what, what happened was then her flour and her oil didn't run out until the famine was over. She's willing to let go of all she had. She was desperate. But she had to let go before God could bless. James and John and Peter, fishermen, had to leave their nets in order to follow Jesus. Matthew had, had to leave his position as a tax collector. He was pretty well off as a tax collector. He had to walk away from it in order to experience what Jesus had for him. What is it that we're holding on to that's in the way of what God wants to do in our lives, that's keeping us ordinary? For some, you might be thinking, well, Pastor, all I have are just broken pieces. What could God do with that? I don't know. Let him go and watch. Let's see what he does with that. For many of us, uh, we're missing out on the multiplication. We're living a simple life of, of addition. When, when God has for us not just multiplication, but exponential multiplication. He has blessing and favor for us. If we would just answer and listen for his calling, let go of the things that he wants us to let go of so that he can do with our lives so much more than we could possibly do on our own. We have to first let it go. Boy, someone should write a song about that. Let it go. I won't go there today. What are you holding on to? What do you th is it you think you need to be successful, to, to be valued, to be a blessing? Maybe that's what's in the way. What's it God's asking you to release? Say, well, Lord, Lord, I really need this. I've got plans for this. And God might be saying, well, so do I. And I can do so much more with it than you can. Trust me. Those aren't easy lessons for us to learn. Sometimes it takes us a, a few tries to get it right. But I wonder this morning what it is we're holding on to. Can you stand with me this place this morning? This is such a personal conversation between God and ourselves, and I, I get it. What you're holding on to might be different than what others are holding on to. What you're seeking as the crowd chasing after Jesus might be different than what the one that's sitting next to you is seeking. But you're here today because you're seeking something. You don't know what that might be yet, but you're seeking something. I believe that. There's something missing. There's something that you're yearning for. There's some affirmation or, or, or approval or, or blessing or favor or question you have. There's something in your life that there's a gap there. That's what brought you here today. That's what's so attractive about being part of a faith family and church. We can come and have those needs that we can't even identify or, or, or name. They can be met. Or we can walk with those who are kind of looking for the same things as we are. And God in his faithfulness will answer us. First, perhaps, it begins with us letting go. Maybe you've got to let it go of bitterness. 
Maybe it's unrealistic expectations. Maybe you've got to let go of fear or uncertainty or, or, or the hurt you've experienced. Those are tough ones to let go of. I get it. What's in the way? What do you hold on to so tightly that it's got you bound? Little boy, he had to be hungry. I'm amazed he still had his lunch left. And I have young kids who don't like to share. Yet he released it. We don't even know his name. Can you imagine his eyes as he sat back and watched what Jesus did? It's not getting away of Jesus doing, multiplying, blessing us today. I prayed this morning for you, for us. I just want God to just very clearly tell us what it is we're holding on to. Very clearly tell us what it is we've got to let go of. And when he reveals that to you, maybe he already has. But you have just an honest conversation with him. Why does it matter? Why are you holding so tightly? Lord, well, I'll let go. You don't even have to get the answers. Are you okay today if he doesn't answer you? We just ask you a big step of faith that you won't be disappointed. We pray for you, Father. I lift up my friends, my family today. If we were to see something like that today, Lord, I, I think we would be more apt to understand and get it. We'd really get excited about that. But the truth is, not much has changed in the last 2,000 years. We can draw a crowd when we feed people. We're really good at that. But I don't want to get lost in the meal so much so that we miss what was really going on. You were trying to reveal yourselves, Lord, to the people so they could see beyond their physical needs and, and recognize that God had sent a Messiah that was offering spiritual freedom, spiritual fulfillment, spiritual satisfaction. God, give us a hunger and a desire to be fattened up on spiritual things, to be satisfied with the things of you, not the things of this world. I think, Lord, if, if we're honest, when we sit at home or when we sit with our spouses or we sit in our, in our offices, we try to figure out what's, what's it going to take for us to truly be content and happy. Most of our answers are materialistic. Most of our responses are worldly. There's so many examples in, in history, Lord, where we always fall short if that becomes our measure and our goal. You came to offer us more, something different. Lord, we all like to fit in. We all like to be liked and popular. We all like to be included. We all like to be, even be comfortable, if we're honest. Lord, if we're pursuing those things, Lord, then we're missing it. I pray today as you speak to us, may we hear your voice clearly. God, what today are we holding on to too tightly? What is it that we might need to let go of this morning? Now, Lord, as you've spoken, as you've talked to us, might we freely, Father, just loosen our grip, open up our hands, lift it up to heaven as Jesus did, and 
and step back and watch what you do with it. I pray today, Lord, for spiritual freedom for those that are bound. I pray, Lord, for those that have unforgiven sin in their lives and just need to, to come back to you and to let go of those, uh, of those habits, of, Lord, those choices. I pray for the one who's been wounded, God, who's holding on to their hurt and their bitterness because it, it helps them to kind of, it gives them identity and purpose, Lord, but you have so much more. You have freedom for them, Lord, if they would just let go. I pray, Father, for the ones whose material things uh, that they're holding on to, who perhaps it's money or position or stuff, Lord, that we would let go of that today. God, free us. Move in us. Multiply, God, what it is that we're willing to let go and turn over to you. Thank you, Father. For the power of your word. your healing touch for your filling spirit and Lord go with us <laughs> maybe we've got a new story to share maybe we've got a testimony to talk about maybe we have an opportunity that says would Lord help me let go of this today maybe not keep it to ourselves it would be glorified I pray in and through each one in Jesus name we ask these things this morning God bless you. Whatever it is you have that God's saying let go, leave it here. Don't take it with you. Go blessed. Be glor glorify him. You're sin people. Have a great day.